Welcome to the Kennedy Report. I'm Kennedy Hall. Today we're going to talk about St. Joseph, hero of Christmas. St. Joseph often takes a back seat, but that's customary for fathers. Often we work behind the scenes, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it is my contention that St. Joseph's role in Christmas, and in many things, should be more well known in the spiritual life. Many of us are unaware of who St. Joseph was, and often we have ideas about him that are sort of just made up based on unverified traditions. Much of the information that I will share can be found on our website in a series of articles that I wrote late last year, early this year on St. Joseph, as well as in a book that I released called Terror of Demons, Reclaiming Traditional Catholic Masculinity, where I have all these meditations on St. Joseph, as well as other things in that book. And the link for both of those things is in the show note for your information. Now, let's briefly go over the life and character of St. Joseph to better understand who he is and his role in Christmas. The first thing that we need to be considering is that there is this myth that St. Joseph was scandalized or startled at finding out that the Blessed Virgin was pregnant. Now, there is, we'll go through it there, he obviously was a little bit uh, worried about certain things, but not for the reasons that people say he was. When we meditate upon the infancy narrative, we find Joseph seemingly distressed at the news that Mary has conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. Unfortunately, many modern authors in the faith, like they do with many things, they present Joseph in a way that's not very charitable towards who he actually was. Usually people put him as a noble man who was somewhat confused and nervous and off-put by the news. They tend to present him as a troubled man at the news of Our Lady's pregnancy. He doesn't want to hurt Mary and hurt her reputation, who they see as his fiance, who he's engaged to, because she's found herself, and I hate even saying this, but quote-unquote pregnant out of wedlock. And that's sort of how people portray him. Like much of the modern trends in biblical scholarship, this is complete and utter nonsense. At this point in the story, in, in the life of St. Joseph and Mary, Mary and Joseph were already married in accordance with the traditional Hebrew custom. To consider them merely engaged is anachronistic to the actual traditions of the Old Covenant, and it's a misunderstanding based on our societal conventions. In the time of Christ, there were basically two stages in marriage. Jewish couples would go through a two-stage process. The first would be called betrothal, and the second would be in accordance with traditions that we would call consummation. So an important distinction is that the first step was public and already entailed a commitment to both. So Joseph and Mary were already betrothed. They were already married in the two-step process of the Hebrew tradition. It was common for a couple to go through the first stage and then the husband would spend some time, maybe a few months, maybe a year, building a home for her where they begin their family life. But it wasn't as if you know, Joseph and Mary were just sort of dating or something like that, and he finds out she's pregnant with the, the Holy Ghost. That's not how it happened. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, which is one of the two Gospels where we find the infancy narrative, we learn, and it says that Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Espoused. They were married. To suggest that Mary was something like an unwed mother is not only erroneous, but unfortunately, it's actually quite rude and in my opinion, it's sort of sacrilegious against Our Lady's immaculate purity. In the next verse in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Joseph was a just man and not willing to publicly expose her. 
Words have meaning in the Bible. I mean, they have meaning in life, but in the Bible, we don't mince words. All of the words mean something and have to be understood properly. This is written in biblical languages. When the Bible calls him a just man, it's a reference to his religiosity, piety, and virtue. Joseph was a magnificently devout man of the Old Covenant, and his marriage to Mary followed the proper stages. His hesitancy to bring his legal and legitimate wife into his home was not because of any public perception or because there might be talk about her being an unwed mother or something like that, violating the Sixth Commandment. I hate even mentioning these things, talking about the, the Virgin Mary, but that's the insinuation people have. There is no allusion in the Bible to any such thing. Rather, it is because of his great and perfect humility. Joseph knew who Mary was. He may not have known that she was the Immaculate Conception, but he knew she was holier than anyone else he had ever known. Think of what the children at Fatima and what all people say when Our Lady visits them in apparitions. They talk about her being the most beautiful, the most magnificent. I mean, her beauty is so strong that, you know, you might die just being around it. It's just overwhelming. There's something about Mary, and she is not just a regular woman where he wouldn't know that there was something special going on. She was unlike any woman he had ever known, any woman in the world. He may not have known every detail of things yet revealed, but he knew that a virgin would bring forth the Messiah. Those are the prophecies of the Old Testament. He's a just man. He's around the holiest woman anyone could ever know, and he knows the prophecies. If anything, he's going to hear this news and go, wow, this is the fulfillment of a prophecy, which he would have known. He knew of his family lineage in the house of David, and he knew that the arrival of the fulfillment of the prophecies, especially those in Daniel in the Old Testament, were at hand. Upon hearing of Mary's miraculous conception, Joseph would not have doubted her truthfulness. That's another thing, too. We are to assume with these sort of modern narratives about Joseph being off-put by finding out Mary is, is, has conceived, we're assuming there that Joseph actually thinks the Virgin Mary was unfaithful. That's, that's terrible. We shouldn't think that whatsoever. And we, we shouldn't think that he has so little virtue that even if he believes her, he doesn't want the scandal. I mean, what does that say? That's just, that's a modernistic lens and it's not appropriate. He knew that she was, had conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost and it was a weighty responsibility of an immeasurable weight. Beholding Our Lady's purity, her unparalleled beauty, and now being aware of her heavenly royalty as she is the mother of the King of Kings, the humble St. Joseph did not consider himself worthy of her. This is the traditional interpretation that we have about St. Joseph. In true humility, he saw himself not befitting of such a magnificent role as it was divine in origin. This is like St. Padre Pio, who felt unworthy of the stigmata. St. Joseph loved God so much that he couldn't view himself as having lordship in a fatherly way over his Lord and God. It's quite the paradox. You are a man, you know, born of woman, and you are going to be the father of the second person of the Holy Trinity. Having regular children is hard enough. Now try raising God. Anyway, so God sent an angel to tell St. Joseph not to be afraid and to let him know it was the divine will that things were to be this way and that he was going to be the husband and protector of Our Lady. So not only does St. Joseph have to raise Jesus Christ, but he also has to be the guardian of the Virgin, which we'll talk about in a little bit. That's an amazing responsibility. No wonder it was hard for him to handle. Now, another thing that ought to be considered is the idea that Joseph was an old man when Mary conceived. 
but this does not fit tradition either. There are reasons for this that we'll go over in a second, but the great early church doctors, St. Jerome, St. Athanasius, other ones, they taught that St. Joseph was a young man and that he lived and died as a virgin. He is also presented as young in Christian artwork from the early part of the church. It seems the notion that he was an older man stems from a secondary source called the Proto-Evangelium of James. Um, while that work does contain certain traditions that are edifying and, and in line with the Bible, it was also condemned for having certain errors, and it was rejected when considered for the canon of Scripture. Furthermore, St. Francis de Sales, Cornelius A. Lapide, who was an incredible biblical scholar, Francisco Suarez, St. Alphonsus Liguori, all of them taught that St. Joseph was sanctified and regenerated in his mother's womb prior to birth. He was no ordinary man, much like St. John the Baptist. When Our Lady visits with Christ in her womb, you know, St. John the Baptist leaps in the womb. It's important to consider his age as we meditate further. We have to remember, Joseph was not an old man. These are traditions, sort of myths that come up when trying to, well, it's a naturalistic way of looking at it. People look at it and they say, well, Joseph had the most beautiful wife who could ever be. They're thinking about it through, you know, mundane, worldly thoughts, thinking, well, the only reason why he could be so chaste is because he's old. But to be honest, that just takes away from Joseph's heroism. It's hard for a man to be chaste. It's hard for anybody to be chaste. But it's especially hard for a man to be chaste. That's what makes Joseph so much more extraordinary, is that he was a young, virile, probably handsome man with the most beautiful pure woman as his wife you could ever imagine, but his devotion to God was so great that he was just perfectly chaste. It's wonderful. That's the truth about St. Joseph. As we edge closer to the nativity of our Lord at Christmas, we do well to contemplate the journey of the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph to Bethlehem. We've already gone over his role in the early parts of the marriage, which is a huge part of the Christmas story as we know. But one part that gets overlooked a lot you see, in the Bible, there's a lot of shorthand. There's a lot of things where the author of a gospel will say, you know, so-and-so went and did this. And we just read it as, you know, four or five words. But if we understand the religious context, we understand the historical context, there is so much to be pulled out of there. For example, it's kind of like if I say, you know, somebody went to a state funeral. Well, if I know what a state funeral is, I know there's going to be tens of thousands of people there. I know there's going to be the military, the bagpipes, you know, everything you would associate with such an amazing event. But if somebody doesn't know what that is, they don't understand it. So when we see the journey to Bethlehem for the birth of Christ, it's just sort of spoken about, oh, they just went to Bethlehem. There's a lot there that has to be understood. And those alive at the time and those who have gone to the Holy Land understand this well. Traditionally, there are two common theories pertaining to the route that Joseph and Mary would have taken. The first one is called the trade route, and it's actually the shortest. This route goes through Samaritan territory and is technically a shorter route. However, it's more undulated in terrain. It's harder to walk over. Furthermore, the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans was highly contentious, which meant that traveling along this route would present greater dangers that would have been very disastrous, potentially, for the Holy Family. The second route is known as the Jordan Valley Route, due to the fact that it crosses the valley which bears the name, the Jordan Valley. It is geographically a longer route, but it is generally flatter and not as distinctly hostile an environment as regards the Jewish-Samaritan conflict, although it did present its own dangers. It's reasonable to assume, for a lot of reasons, 
that the Holy Family actually chose the second route, even though it too was a little bit dangerous. There was no way of avoiding danger. It was the first route was pretty obvious. You were going to encounter some hostility because of the cultural problems. The second route, the Jordan Valley, was a little bit longer. You had to walk past Jericho, as we'll see, which was a dangerous city, but you were less likely to encounter people on this route. This route also took Joseph and Mary past Jericho, or through the area of Jericho that uh, we just mentioned, which seems in continuity with the parable of the Good Samaritan. In any case, let us meditate upon Joseph and his role in bringing the Virgin through the Jordan Valley route. And this is one of the things we have to remember is God does not, like, if God's going to pick Joseph to be the foster father of our Lord, the chaste spouse of Our Lady, this is a very difficult physical task. He's not going to pick an old man. As pious as that tradition may be, he's not picking an elderly man to walk with his wife, leading a donkey, carrying belongings. She's nine months pregnant all the way. He's not going to pick an older man to do such a hard thing. Joseph was tasked with protecting and transporting the Blessed Mother from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census. We all know the story. While we cannot be sure how the Blessed Mother experienced pain due to her special redemption and perfection, it is reasonable to assume that this journey would present discomfort, being in the state that she was in. She was very far along in her virginal pregnancy, and the journey would take place on the back of a beast of burden. The Jordan Valley is the lowest place on earth, and it is located at the Dead Sea. The prefigurement of this voyage cannot be understated. Our Lady, led by St. Joseph, carried our Lord by the lifeless waters of the deepest pit of the earth. This route also took the Holy Family to Jericho, a place known for being rife with robbers and murderers, looking to exploit the innocence of vulnerable travelers. In a sense, this road to Bethlehem prefigured what our Lord would go through on his road to the cross. St. Joseph guarded the most holy virgin through the land of the dead. Envision the criminal threat present around every corner, especially given the shorter days and darker evenings of the winter season. St. Joseph was perfectly aware of the spiritual forces that writhed in pain at the virginal monstrance of Our Lady's womb. It's almost as if Our Lady was processing Christ through this deep pit of death right beside the Dead Sea. It is here that King David's words from the Psalms come alive when he says, For though I should walk in the midst of the valley of death, I will fear no evils. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they have comforted me. I like to think that Mary contemplated these words, rubbing her womb the way expectant mothers do, as she gazed lovingly at her husband, finding comfort in his masculine countenance, strength, and noble courage. With each dominating step, St. Joseph sent a warning to the depths of hell. The coming of Christ was approaching. Through the dark of night, he led the bestial chariot of Our Lady, her perfect holiness lighting the way while Joseph marched his family forward through the descending fog of demons. The chaste guardian of the Virgin was not a diminutive man. He was a conqueror, flanked by the prince of the heavenly host and his angels. Venerable Mary of Agrita, the great mystic, she relates the following to us. She says about the Holy Family on this journey, she says, They were accompanied by angels who were appointed by God himself as the servants of her majesty during that whole journey. These heavenly squadrons marched along as their retinue 
in human forms visible to the heavenly lady. At the end of every valley, there is an ascent to be made to climb upwards and out of the depths. As they passed by the degenerate city of Jericho, they began their ascent out of the valley of death. This was the hardest part of the journey. A steep climb after days of exhaustive trekking through unforgiving weather and terrain. From the limbo of the fathers, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David watched as the light of the patriarchs showed them the glory soon to come when Christ would descend into the dead in order to raise the holy men of old from the shadows. We all stand on the shoulders of giants, men who have gone before us and forged our path. Even Jesus Christ, in his human nature, had an example to follow in St. Joseph. Before Christ's ascent up to Calvary came Joseph's journey up to Bethlehem. Let us not forget to fall in line behind the guardian of Christ and Mary as we too climb towards the holy stable so as to adore the Savior and kneel at the manger of the communion rail to receive the King of Kings. With the coming of Christmas and the difficult times that many of us face, Joseph is our model. Think of the lengths he went to in order that the first Christmas could happen. We have no excuse not to go through great lengths as well. If you have enjoyed this video, please consider donating to help us continue the apostolate. Until next time, I'm Kennedy Hall. This has been the Kennedy Report, and God bless.